Hi, I'm Brenda. And I'm Elaine. We're sisters. Welcome to the Body Wealth Podcast, a space for conversations about the wealth that really matters, your best health. This episode is the first in our special two-part series on childbirth. Most of us have heard the frightening statistic that Black women are nearly three times as likely to die in childbirth as white women. So we decided to highlight two personal stories on this topic. Today, Elaine and I talked to Maya Gold-Patterson, who made a detailed plan for her baby's delivery. Even with that great plan and lots of support, her birthing experience was frustrating and scary. Maya, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Happy to be here. Good. We are so happy to have you. I'd like to let everyone know that today we are talking to Maya Gold-Patterson. I would say I've known her for about 10 years now. She's a beautiful young woman, very accomplished, very brilliant. And I feel like I've watched a little bit of that progression in the last 10 years. Um, oh yeah, most of it. <laughs> I am blessed to call her daughter since she and my son have uh, fallen in love and decided to build a life together. But before we actually get into the meat of this conversation, Maya, why don't you tell our guest a little bit about yourself? First of all, blessed to be here. This is awesome. These are two of my favorite people. I am Maya. I am a mother of one. He's almost seven months. And that's really the most important thing about me at this point. But besides that, I also have a job that's pretty important to uh, my identity as a woman. I would say I'm a designer by day, but like really being a family, my baby is is core to me. It's everything. So we... Want to talk about childbirth with you today, but before we do, I think it'd be nice for you to just tell us a bit about your pregnancy. I actually was thinking about this the other day because I go through my phases where I'm like, I will never be pregnant again, and I'm like, <laughs> but I actually want more kids. And then the other day, I was like doing um, my first strength workout ever uh, since being pregnant, and I was like, okay, I can have a second kid now, which is like kind of ridiculous. It's like Yay! you just got that. Yeah, that's right. It takes about seven months to recover physically and mentally or more mentally. Yeah. And mentally, I would say that most people would probably characterize my pregnancy and I would even characterize it as like relatively straightforward. It was not super complicated. I didn't have complications in the first trimester, which I was nervous about or the second. I was like very much so traveling, doing my thing. Uh, Third trimester was not my favorite because (laughs) I had a lot of swelling I couldn't do much. Um, I was eating a cantaloupe a day. Um, Why were you eating a cantaloupe a day? I don't know. I I wish I could answer that. You just (laughs) wanted it. It's not like that was something that was prescribed. Not prescribed, not prescribed. (laughs) I prescribed it for myself. It was like a requirement. That's one of the healthier cravings I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also was ordering Cold Stone like four times a week, but that's besides (laughs) the point. (laughs) <laughs> well, I will say here, Maya is tiny, at least compared to our family standard. Uh, Five foot flat. So, you know, she didn't have a whole lot of room for much baby. So I know by the third trimester, partly because I was pregnant with twins once that when you're that full of baby, it's yeah. just uncomfortable. It was so uncomfortable. I really thought that my baby was going to be like, I just knew I was like, this is an eight, nine, 10 pounder. Like this baby <laughs> is big. And I was really nervous about that because I wanted a vaginal delivery. 
he turned out to be six pounds, seven ounces. So <laughs> very little. Relatively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> right. He was, um, Austin puts it, Austin's my husband. Austin puts it like he was exactly the size I needed, my body needed for me to be able to have a safe delivery. That's perfect. That's great. So when you decided, I know that you and your husband fairly quickly after you got married decided to have a child, or maybe you decided this before, I don't know. But once you decided that that's what you wanted to do, what did you do in your lives to prepare for, for that? Yeah, because the our friends and people that we know are starting to have kids later, we were just like very much so okay with the idea that it might not be as easy as um, the movies show it to be to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so Austin was actually going to have an appointment to just see how he was doing and check up on his stuff. After that appointment, then I would potentially have one, but we wouldn't do any of that until um, several months after we started trying. For us, we didn't need to utilize those appointments. I basically just stopped my birth control and immediately got pregnant, which (laughs) was like a bit rapid, Uh, but great. It was what we wanted. We talked about it a lot. I talked about it a lot because I feel like I'm a bit younger than most of my friends um, when deciding to get pregnant. So I definitely went into this very intentionally um, and with some awareness of what might make pregnancy and delivery successful, not necessarily postpartum. Like I didn't get that far along. I wish I would have, but for me, I was like, okay, as long as I have a very supportive partner who is very much so ready to be a dad, I'm ready to be a mom. And then from a health perspective, I'm doing everything I can do to be a healthy human being. And I have a support system like a doula and a strong family presence, then we should be okay. If I am so blessed to get pregnant. So what did you do to be a healthy human being and what's a doula? (laughs) Good questions. Yeah. So I'm not like a health freak. I definitely have like a hamburger every other week or so. I am very much so a foodie, but when I was thinking about pregnancy, it just felt like something that was very labor intensive, like labor Uh is a good word for it. So I'm like, okay, I need to be in good physical fitness, like shape, like my cardiovascular fitness needs to be good. I want to feel very mobile and like I can stretch my body however I need to, because I think that's included in the process of delivering. So doing things like yoga, going on hikes and walks and running until I couldn't run, which was like second trimester, just being very active and making sure my body felt very, I understood my body as much as possible is what physical fitness looked like for me. And then the yoga and some meditation and those sorts of practices mentally, I think were items I picked up just so that I wouldn't be super scared of the process or like I had somewhere to put my feelings. I also Mm -hmm. had a therapist and we checked in probably once a month at that point in time. And then a doula, my girlfriend, Carla told me about doulas. She had one, she had a home birth. It was an incredible experience. And a doula is essentially a, um, provider that is there for the purposes of the mommy or the person that is um, giving birth and, and carrying a child. She or he, but usually it's a woman. Um, I wanted a woman doula. She's there to check in on you, do things before, during, and after delivery to ensure that you are able to stay healthy, meet your baby, and be your best, fullest self. Whereas like doctors, midwives, 
nurses, they, while they care about you as a woman, they more so care about you as a vessel for this human being that's coming into the world. And so all of your care to me, in my, in my experience is around, let's make sure you're good. Cause the baby's in there and we got to make sure the baby's good. Once the baby's out, whatever, you know, a doula is the opposite <laughs> of that. They're like, mm-hmm. no, you are most important because if the mommy's not good, the baby's not good. At what point did she join you to help out? Yeah, I think I start. I knew I wanted one before I got pregnant. When I did get pregnant, there was a lot of information from just the doctors and the weeks and what you're supposed to be doing each week that I just was very overwhelmed. So I didn't start researching doulas until second trimester. And then I found my doula very quickly after that. And fortunately, I didn't really need anything to be done until like really the month that I gave birth. But way before that, my doula in particular, she did delivery classes. So she like had these presentations where she would literally take me and Austin, me and my partner through, this is what Maya's body is doing. This is what Maya's body is going to have to do. This is what the baby's doing. Here are the the steps of what labor looks like so that Maya is not afraid of it. You're not afraid of it, Austin. What's happening when we see certain signs, every woman is different. She just made it like, she gave me information that no doctor gave me. She gave me information that no one had ever talked to me about. Maybe it was described amongst like the woman that I love, but not put in such like concrete terms. I was very helpful over time to, to be like, okay, I know what to expect. And I know when these things did happen to me, I knew what, what was going down. Nice. That's nice. Yeah. It sounds similar to the Lamaze class. Did you go to Lamaze when you were pregnant? So I was pregnant during 2021, 2022. So COVID and California COVID is like pretty, it has some weird lasting effects, I would say. And one of those was like the doc, the hospital systems picked and choose what they wanted to continue providing for people and what they wanted to make virtual, even though they weren't actually upholding like COVID safe practices, they were using it as an excuse to not offer like some of those like softer things. So uh, my hospital system, Kaiser at the time said online, oh, we have all these classes and the community. It's one of the reasons why I chose them going into this. My doctor never mentioned those classes. I, it was not clear to me how you tapped in. I didn't even get to visit the maternity ward because of COVID. They're like, oh, you can do a virtual tour. <laughs> what, are you talk- <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but when you're in Kaiser, you have to stay with Kaiser. I know you made a plan for your delivery. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you were pregnant and envisioning your delivery, what did you envision and what support did you plan? Well, they always say when you make a plan for your delivery, (laughs) it's like the dumbest thing you can do because it doesn't go according to plan. And so I was trying to like remember that and be very okay with it not going according to plan. What I wanted was a safe delivery that would include me and my child at the other side of it, um, not traumatized essentially. And ideally, you know, and if I could choose, I would like to have a vaginal birth. Um, I would like to have minimal, um, um, interventions, but the only reason why I wanted minimal interventions is because of the stories I've heard from other women about what happened once they got interventions. It seemed to escalate into emergency C-sections. And it's not that C-sections are the problem, but just stuff escalated and had lasting effects on their health. And then also all of the data coming out about Black women and how we are oftentimes like intervened on like over and over and over again in our childbirth. And then our success rates of living, it's like lower, which is extremely scary. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this naturally, which is wild. But I I was saying that 
not because I really wanted to <laughs> have a natural birth per se. I just didn't want the hospital system to like kill me. Essentially. Right. I wanted to be able to do this myself. If I need to do it myself, my ancestors have done it. Plenty of people have done it. Um, and I would do that too, if that's what would ensure a, a successful delivery. What I thought would be good support system was finding black care providers, a midwife, because I felt that midwives were more woman and patient oriented than potentially OBGYNs based off of, again, feedback I'd heard from other people and then having a doula. Having black care providers and a midwife did not meet my expectations and was super disappointing in the actual experience, but the doula, that was solid and that was necessary. Tell us what was disappointing. Uh, So many things. So I I live in Inglewood. Inglewood is a historically black um, community and it's incredible. It's super rich with history. Um, It has obviously its own reputation from like the media and, and what has happened throughout time. But actually it's like a community that's filled with all types of black people and like black people doing very different types of things and people who care about their homes and their lives and their families. I give all that background just so people understand like where I guess what my hospital system looked like. So I was choosing to go to the Inglewood based Kaiser location. It was like very close to my home. Of course it would have a lot of black people and they'd be used to talking to black people. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like this is great. Kaiser had on their website tons of information about just being very like women oriented in what they wanted in their labor and delivery and and treatment. So I was like, this just all seems aligned. What I read about and what I thought was completely different from my experiences, I had a midwife that was a black woman and I could tell she wanted to do her job well, but like from day one, she was extremely condescending and treated me like I was a child. Like she would talk to me in this baby voice. And I'm a woman that is carrying a baby. I don't need to be talked to like I'm five. <clears throat> but especially when I'm asking questions, you know, are there certain exercises that I should be doing to ensure that I have a successful delivery? Or should I be thinking about what my treatment plan might look like or any of these sorts of like very basic questions? She would just brush it off and talk to me like I was her like 12 year old niece. And I just never felt like my questions are being answered. And that's very anxiety inducing for somebody who's never done this before. So Austin wasn't able to come into my treatments for the first several months. I actually, I don't even remember when it started, which was also terrible. So I was going into my own appointments by myself and he had to sit in the waiting room. And even like the way that they were treating us, like you could just tell, even though it was like black people, like servicing other black people like it was it felt as though we were being treated in ways that they knew they could get away with because of the system and because Mm -hmm. of probably their lack of resources and who they were serving Mm -hmm. because I've gone to other Kaiser locations and white areas and it did not feel that way and it did not look that way um so Austin wasn't allowed to come into my appointments and I was sitting there and I'd like be trying to like FaceTime and, you know, remember all the questions that I had, but you're, like, there's so much information you're hearing the heartbeat and the, the, and they're like inserting stuff in you like really fast. And 
Uh, all of that just wasn't great. Like just down to the moments of like needing to go pee in a cup and then just being like standing there because my nurse left me and I'm trying to figure out where to go. And I'm standing in this hallway for like 12 minutes. Like, and then they're like, what are you doing? Why aren't you in the room? I'm like, what room are you talking about? I just got here. You told me to pee in this cup and you left me. Like just basic stuff like that makes you feel like, I don't know, not like a human, just like this person that's supposed to deliver this, this baby. So anyways, when Austin was able to come with me into appointment, because the numbers, I think Omicron had sort of cooled off. When he asked her questions, she talked extremely differently to him than she did to me. Mm. And that's why I was like, we're done. We are done. (laughs) (laughs) That was like, it was just because you look young or she just treated everybody like that. Or that's how she talks to pregnant women but not I feel like pregnant women are talked to that pregnant women are talked to like we're overly emotional which like to be fair we are but for good reason um (laughs) and we're not insane right um we're talked to like we're overly emotional and like we don't have any logic or sense and we're super anxious but it's like there's a lot of factors that are causing that and and they should know that better than anyone else right that's what I'm saying (laughs) I'm like don't y'all you interface with this regularly but even if I look young you know what my age is it's in my chart it's in the chart right yeah I'm not young but 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 what if you are young so what what if you what if you were young you know even if I'm 18 maybe you need to explain it even better that's what I'm saying not in these like little it's like she was feeding me the information she wanted me to know not the full information Mm -hmm. which I was like this feels super dangerous also they were like testing me a ton and when I talked to other people and other doctor like hospital systems they weren't having to get their blood drawn every single visit which was like every four to six weeks and get all of these tests and I they never told me anything about the test afterwards like Mm -hmm. I just got tested on and I would have to decipher the sort of information which I wasn't really able to do because they said, oh, don't look at it if you don't want to know the gender of your baby. I didn't want to know the gender. So I couldn't even look at my test results. They weren't talking to me about, it was just, it was just terrible. Did you create a version of the report that just doesn't have the gender on it? So you would think, you would think. Everything else. Yeah, That's exactly. too much, that's too much work. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. it sounds like at some point you changed, did you change your medical provider during your pregnancy? I changed. So I had been feeling those feelings of, you know, this woman is not the right woman for me, the midwife for a while. And with Kaiser, they have like a rotating staff. So usually who's like treating you for your uh, prenatal is not who's going to actually deliver the baby. Mm -hmm. I was okay with that because I don't, I just didn't want to be like, okay, I can't do this successfully if I don't have my doctor. So I was okay with the rotatingness. But after that, like the way I was being treated, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to rotate through these doctors and these midwives and find somebody that I like if you're going to treat me like this. I didn't get to that point though until third trimester. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to look in a different area. I went to the Baldwin Hills location. It was much nicer than the Inglewood location. They didn't have a um, maternity ward though. So I couldn't deliver there, but I met this like incredible OBGYN. So again, you know, my expectations were that OBGYNs were bad. And not that they were bad, but just that they would have treated me like the way the midwife treated me. This OBGYN, she was great. She showed up in just a dress and she was like, she took a ton of time to like listen to all of my questions. And I felt really good. Um, Was she black or white? She was black. She was black. So that was helpful. That was super helpful. Her nurse also was incredible and talked to me like a person never left me with like my pee cup in my hand, just standing there in the hallway, like super inhumanely. But I knew that she was going to be gone during my delivery. Um, so that didn't feel great. 
but I just, I just thought that it'd still be okay. So now we're going to get to your delivery experience. We've got, a, we've gotten all the preamble, which is great. Mm-hmm. And we know the outcome, which is this beautiful baby boy, yes. but let's talk about childbirth, uh, yeah. your water breaks. Then what happens? <laughs> oh, my water broke. So okay, I was okay. so sick of being pregnant. Like two weeks before I told my baby, I called him Blueberry at the time. I was like, okay, Blueberry, like you gotta, you gotta come early. Like I can't do this anymore. And so I was doing all the things I was getting acupuncture and um, pedicures and all the stuff that they're like the hippie stuff that they say will help induce and doing like the, the curb walks and all that with my doula. I didn't um, even know that I, pedicures me. <laughs> Your, your labor come on something about your feet the acupressure uh, in your feet and then that acupuncture and all that there's also some other stuff that's kind of like awkward to talk about given like you know my mother-in-law's on this podcast I, but I know that one I know that yeah, one I do too okay <laughs> <laughs> if you partake you know that also seemed to be pretty successful and um, all those things my water broke like I did all that stuff in one day my water broke uh that night when I was sleeping and it was like the movies, like it was, I woke up in the bed and it was like, like just like gushes of water, which I was like, oh, no question, no question, no question, but I had no contractions. And my doula was like, okay, girl, you already know, we've talked about this before. Like Labor can be a really long time. I'm talking three days for your first child. And I'm like, no, it has to be soon. Um, my labor ended up being from the time my water broke until delivery, it was like, 48 hours. So mm-hmm. I was in labor for quite a long time. It wasn't all horrific or anything. The first day I just felt like I was on, I had a period, but you know, like light cramps Cramp. sort of, mm-hmm. but I was like, these aren't going anywhere. And one thing that my doula really, really pressed into me was that you want to labor as long as possible at home, because once you get into the hospital system, that's when they put you on a, a timer. Some hospitals do, they put you on a timer and they need you to like deliver within that time so that they can have a free bed again and that's just not the way women bodies work like we need time like we are pushing an entire being and soul out of our body like that takes adjustments (laughs) yes and Barry was very comfortable like lodged (laughs) in that right side not moving at all (laughs) he was not concerned what was kind of scary was that they want you to go into the hospital after 12 hours after your water breaks. But again, I was like, you know what? In my gut, I feel good. I don't feel like there's an infection happening. I think that I'm okay risking this until I have those contractions because I don't want to be in the hospital. Were you making this decision with your doula? Did you call your OBGYN at all? Who helped you decide on that timing? The timing was based off of me and my gut, but my doula was very much so advocating for me to labor as long as I felt comfortable with laboring. I did call one of my friends who's a midwife and just got her opinion. Her opinion was that I should go in after 12 hours, but I just decided to listen to myself and did not. Um, And I do think that that was the right call, but that's not the right call for everybody. Obviously there's very serious stuff that can happen. And what did you do while you were at home? Sleep? Did you eat? Austin read this book that it was this midwife book about a whole bunch of women who like gave birth essentially in this like farm and they didn't have any medical intervention so there's like a lot of stories and he was like you know a lot of these women do work like do something that like busies themselves like bake a bunch of loaves of bread or something like that so I was like get in the kitchen and start cooking I was which is well 
like, what is this life? I'm like a handsmaid. Yeah, I started making call because I just didn't want to think about it. I wanted to stress release and um, that took up time. I watched uh, Double Wears Prada, it was my favorite movie. I, like I was, but I was just anxious. Like, I just like, why don't I feel like contractions? I went to bed and then like an hour after I went to bed again, like my contractions were on and popping. So let's go ahead and get to the hospital. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm eight centimeters. I was not, I was only one centimeter. Um, but it felt like I was eight um, right. and because my contractions were so regular I was I thought that I was much further along than what I was I had to go to the hospital and then what happened uh, the nightmare the nightmare <laughs> the nightmare happens yeah it begins right um so in my mind I thought that like laboring at night and delivering at night would be very peaceful and that there wouldn't be so much busyness so we get there we pull up I'm expecting like somebody to come with a wheelchair and get me to where I need to be, but that just doesn't happen. We get out the car and we're like carrying all my stuff. I'm having very intense contractions. We have to walk like this long walk to the maternity ward while I'm like very much so in labor. Mm. And we get in and the first thing that we are bombarded with is like the security guard being like, what do you need? I'm like, is it not obvious? <laughs> is it not obvious what I might need? I don't know. And they're like, um, only she can go up. I'm going to do what I got to do. So I'm like, come on, Austin. And we just like walk to the elevator and go upstairs. When we get to the door to the maternity ward, they've shut it down. So, okay, to back up, one thing I did know in my OBGYN told me about was that uh, because of COVID, there's a triage process that happens. And Although they think the numbers are going down and this likely won't be an issue once I need to give birth, um, it there are certain instances where sometimes only I can go in for a little bit, but it should be no more than 20 minutes where you're by yourself. Um, and then usually, though, at least one other person can go with you. But all that is just ridiculous, you know. But I was like, okay, there might be a very brief time, but likely not that I might have to be by myself, but hopefully not. So we get there and it's very clear. I got to go by myself. And they're like, only she can go back. And I don't have anything on me. I, cause I can't carry, so I'm in labor yeah, and I'm walking. Yeah. I'm in like serious pain and I have to figure out where to go. Once I like enter into these doors, Austin's like behind me holding like my pillow and my phone and snacks and whatever. And I'm like, well, let me just go in there. And I get to the desk and this woman who's at the front desk, she's just like, how can I help you? Do your job. <laughs> I'm like, get a wheelchair? Like, that's how you could help, like something. Wow. And um, I'm just like sitting, like, like laying on the desk to like support myself because the people that are supposed to be supporting me are not. Um, my doula is also not allowed to come in yet. No one's allowed to come in. So after that happens, they take me into what I now know was the triage room. And it's this very dark space that has a whole bunch of different like smaller rooms, which is essentially a torture chamber is what I come to know it as. I don't know. I've never been through this process though. So I don't know what's happening. I'm assuming these are the rooms that we were supposed to actually deliver in or something. I don't know. And this nurse greets me. She's like, when's your water break? And I tell her the time. She's like, oh, 24 hours ago. So you don't, you don't want any interventions. Like you don't want any treatments or medication. I'm like, don't, don't leap to those conclusions. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And I'm like, also, why are you judgmental? Cause like, if yeah. I don't, why is that an issue? And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't, I want to do this naturally. Like I'm good. I'm not good, but I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, I'm essentially in there for two hours by myself laboring on my back. And it's, unclear why I had to be there like that and it's unclear like what the next step was 
a physician never came in until I demanded it um, over and over and over again. But I am in such intense pain. Like when you're like doing it naturally, you want to stand up and walk around and like use your ball to like have support and counter pressures and all this type of stuff that I'm not, I'm not receiving. I'm not even getting emotional support. I'm in a room by myself. And Mm -hmm. this nurse is like acting like she's a nice one, but she's not. Um, and they're monitoring me and like checking me a bunch. You're not supposed to check someone like a ton, like the dilation. Um, they're saying really scary stuff like, oh, the physician's not coming in because um, the baby's not moving enough. I'm like, well, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And And then that's a scary thing to say too. Yes, 100%. And things like the, the stuff that I was experiencing would be at risk of putting me in danger. Like they caused the, I didn't have high blood pressure. I didn't have any complications. I didn't have a complicated pregnancy. I had no issues. Mm -hmm. They created an environment for me to have very serious issues. And if I weren't in the privileged position that I was in, I don't think that, I think my outcome would have been a lot different. Not necessarily that I would have died, but that I, I just probably would not have been able to be as okay as I am now. My baby Mm -hmm. might not have been able to be as okay as he is now. Yeah. Um, which is good context. The reason why I had to choose Kaiser and I felt very pressured to do so or pick the hospital in general is because your healthcare is tied up with your employment and you have to make that decision at a very specific time. So in November, it just so happened I got pregnant in November. And so I'm making these calls very quickly. And once you choose an insurance provider, that's who you're with. And so since the insurance provider I chose was tied up with my hospital, I had no other route, right? So like, couldn't change anything. Um, I'm going to choose this other system because like what they're saying on their website seems to be like solid and it just, um, yeah, so it's a systemic issue for sure. And uh, having black care providers is not necessarily the answer. I of course had some great black healthcare providers. I had a great black nurse later on. I had that great black OBGYN way too late in the process, but also I had really awful black care providers. And I only bring up the race just because that's not the solution, you know, like that, just because you have somebody that seemingly comes right. from the same and, and background. The systems are definitely the problem, but also the people, and it's individual, obviously, but a person no matter what the system around them is saying, the baby's not moving, therefore the doctor isn't coming in. Well, it mm-hmm. just doesn't even make logical sense. Like also the that not it's, coming in because the baby's not moving. What? It's, <laughs> it's, it's cruel like, and be, uh, you know running in now. <laughs> right? know. That would mean the doctor's coming sooner, right? That's what. <laughs> <laughs> And then you're so mad at yourself as a woman in labor, like as someone in labor who like is very logical and like, I, you know, I'm not somebody that just like sits and lets people talk to me crazy. Right. But when you are in labor, you can only focus on getting through. So I'm letting like people say and do stuff where I'm like, this is not okay, but I have nobody to advocate for me because they haven't let anyone through. And you're also afraid of the repercussions. I can remember- yes being afraid that if I wasn't nice enough, it wouldn't be good to me. Like I remember after you have a baby and you bleed and stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And so I remember trying to clean up the bathroom because I didn't want (laughs) and and the the, the, the woman who cleans bathrooms like, oh, you, you keep your bathroom nice and neat. I'm like, what? 
what's wrong with me? <laughs> it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's wrong with them. It's, I didn't want to crazy. be too much of an imposition. <laughs> they would not treat me and my baby well. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get out of the triage the torture room. chamber <laughs> the torture chamber yeah so I talked to my baby a ton and because first of all I felt my baby moving so I'm like they're fucking idiots I was like Barry you and I we're good like you're good you take your time I'm taking my time we're gonna get through this we're gonna get through this so I was saying this like over and over and over to myself I had no idea it'd been two hours until like I could just tell it had been too long and eventually I was like no like go get the physician now and the physician comes, she doesn't introduce herself. She like has the person that draws blood come in because now my blood pressure is high because of the stress they put me under. Again, I had no pre-existing anything, anything, right. anything, anything, um, which is crazy because high blood pressure in a black woman who was in labor is extremely yeah. dangerous. dangerous. They cause that eventually they're like, so then after they take the blood, they leave again. And I'm like on the phone, I'm like, no, 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 I'm about to walk out. And right when I'm about to walk out, they come back and they're like, yay, we're admitting you. And I'm like, fuck y'all, get me to the bed now. (laughs) So the whole reason for me being by myself was because of COVID, right? And these COVID precautions, I learned that they never tested Austin, my mom or my doula. So there was nothing about, co- they looked at their, their vaccination card, which they could have done. If that's all they were going to do. Two hours ago. That's right. what I'm saying. They could have tested. What was the barrier to admitting you in their minds or processes that required you sitting in that triage for two hours by yourself? I think it's because I was not dilated very much, which I don't really know if that's the answer they kept on saying oh you're not dilated very much and I kept on responding okay so should I go home right that's what it is so go home and they wouldn't they like kept leaving after I would ask that and then they were like oh you have to have this monitor on you I said I didn't want monitoring because monitoring just like too much data can stress you out so I was like I don't want that and she like required me to have it and to have all these like cervical checks which are things that you're not supposed to have if you don't want to have them but she was forcing me into it because I couldn't get care without doing those things. Mm-hmm. Once they admitted me, um, the crazy almost stopped, but it didn't fully stop. So that nurse was like with me and I'm starting to get my senses. And I'm like asking her, I want to go take a shower. Like I want to be able to like, first of all, get clean after all that laboring. And also like water hydrotherapy is like really helpful. And I thought that that was going to be the key way that I would labor, which Kaiser said that they supported, but they did not. And she was like, I don't know if you can shower. You're going to have to ask your physician because uh, you have to be monitored. And I was like, there's another nurse. I think they're going to switch off and that's going to be my new nurse. So I'm not even going to listen to what this horrific nurse is talking about. I'm going to like ask her. The other nurse leaves. I'm like, hey, want to take a shower? She's like, no problem. Let's get you monitored with like a Bluetooth monitoring thing, a wireless joint and like get you in there. I'm like, wow, you can treat me like a person. Who knew? And there was a system available to allow you to do the thing you asked to do. They made a choice to not or you. Um, give the best care. Yeah. So once I get in the shower, it, like their system is so jank. Like I'm noticing that the water is overflowing everywhere. And I'm just like in severe labor. And I'm just sitting here thinking, damn girl, you, you weren't trying to clean the girl. bathroom. Like. <laughs> I was not trying. I was not gonna clean up no bathroom. I'm like somebody. Some somebody's gonna have to get it. Progress, Brenda. Generational progress here. So I was. I'm like this water's gonna get on this floor because I'm gonna be in the shower. I don't know who's gonna have to clean that up. It's not me. 
So I'm like sitting there and I'm like, and my doula is finally here. She's talking to me. Austin's there. And I'm like, look, y'all, I'm about to get this epidural. I know that's not what we talked about necessarily, but I, I'm going to have to do it because it's been too long. I, I'm too tired. And I'm like, okay, great. I get out the shower. There, there is water everywhere, like all over the entire floor. And this woman comes in, <laughs> this janitor, black woman, she comes in and she's like, now what, what? what uh who how did you do this I was like I took a shower she's like this is a hospital and not the Marriott I don't know what you thought this was but you can't be taking showers like that the Marriott right or this is, not, this is not the Marriott Austin like almost lost I'm like it's fine she gonna she's gonna mop that floor and she, I don't give a fuck if she likes it or doesn't like it, she gonna mop that floor and she'll mop it again if I decide to get up in there like okay and and I'm like and I probably won't get in there because I'm about to get an epidural so it's fine right right after that um now it's probably like four or five a.m the sun starts to come out I got my music on uh my doula's there I have my epidural the epidural was not as scary as I thought it was it didn't hurt it was like very successful um I napped for the first time in 30 hours Austin naps my mom now everyone naps getting ready and then from there yeah getting ready and then from there I was like a very beautiful process. It was exactly what I imagined. My nurses in my room were actually incredible, but they wouldn't have been as good as they were if my doula wasn't there. So she's communicating with them? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's like, go get me the peanut ball. Go get me the ice. Go get me the this. Go get me the that. She called them in when, like they had me in the, um, the, like you go through this transition state, you know, when your body is about to get, like actually about to give birth and push and it gets really, really intense. And I'm just sitting there like trying to like get myself through. And she's like, calling. she's like, she's ready. She's ready. Get in here. Like she, oh, like, that's great. The, and, okay. you know, the thing is right. Having somebody who has expertise yeah. and who has no, knows what the hospital can do, whether they right. want to share that with you or not. And their language. What's, yes. you know, the resources that are there. That's key. That's a good lesson for those getting ready to go through these things because mm-hmm. even if you even if it is your first your second your third your fourth child as you say you're focused on your body and the mm-hmm. physical and you need someone there i had a lot of thoughts about how most women who don't have the sort of resources i have or a partner or a doula that is extremely supportive i don't know what you would do i mean you just have to be a superwoman which should not be required to you know, give birth. It it shouldn't be necessary. And our hope is to get to that point someday where everybody can be listened to and be treated as a mother to be. Mm -hmm. But I know I knew this going into it, but I just didn't understand how pervasive it was just in the attitude towards mothers, which is essentially just, we are these people that are nuisances and obnoxious and anxious and overly emotional and we are necessary to like bring people into the world and everyone loves their mother but god moms are so annoying and I just felt that the entire time I was pregnant I felt that through my delivery I felt that in postpartum I also never got postpartum care by the way like my doctor was never around and it was impossible to get an appointment so I never got a checkup I had to so I got out of the Kaiser system um no OBGYN would also like check check on me because I didn't give birth with them (laughs) (laughs) so I just had to get a regular exam which was like really not great It, it was really um 
I don't know, it just wasn't gentle. It wasn't a gentle process. It wasn't informative. So top to bottom, I just felt like I was just treated as this thing that had to like exist okay enough to bring my baby to light, which ultimately like, I don't care about all that because I'm good. My baby's good. Like we're good. And I don't need all that, but it it is, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how we got to this place. I don't know why we stay in this place. Um, and it's really, yeah, I don't even know what the right word is for it, but it, it's, uh, it's kind of traumatizing and disheartening. We can really? still hear it in your voice. That's part of the reason yeah. we're so grateful for you coming on to this podcast to talk about it because we've got to talk about it. We mm-hmm. we got to figure a way out of this. Yes. And yes. I am sorry that you had such a challenging time. And I hope when baby number two comes that it'll be easy peasy and fully supported. But I do want to say that I also feel like this is a reflection of the broader disdain for women that we're seeing in the political system. I mean, even though abortion rights is different from birthing, the the same animosity, the same feeling of the woman Mm -hmm. is this thing that the only thing we have to be worried about is the thing that's inside of her. right and now sort of policing young girls and their periods and and all of these things it's on a spectrum of your body doesn't belong to you and to Mm -hmm. the extent that your body is important it's only because of this baby that it might be able to bring into the world right right and I am so proud of you that you had the support and resources to navigate that terrible experience and bring beautiful West into the world. (laughs) Looking back on your experience, are there other insights that you would want to share with another Black woman who's approaching her child delivery? I think that I would tell any of my sisters, my girlfriends, that ultimately you don't know what's to come. Uh, you can't plan for it, but all you can do is prepare yourself as best as you can. And that preparation will get you through anything. Um, I would tell my girlfriends to expect the worst from care providers and hope for the best, just so that you're able to do all of the things that you can do to get your mind and your body right, um, to be able to weather the storm when it comes. Because even when everything is all good. Like these are just not easy things. If I could pay for everybody to have a doula, I would. And there are a lot of programs actually that will pay for a doula or um, provide like financial support because doulas can be very expensive and your insurance does not cover it. It's crazy. A doula is necessary. Doula is necessary. And honestly, bringing your doula to your appointments is probably what you should do if, if they allow for that. Who or what inspires you to work towards your best health? Oh, well, honestly, my baby and my husband, which is a pretty cliche answer probably, but like I do this, I care for myself, especially now when I was younger, I cared about, you know, keeping good health for, you know, the physique and like the way that you look, um, while I like to look cute, I am not doing it for that. I care much more about 
doing exercises or being active or thinking about my mental health and getting treatments for my mental health in order to be around for as long as possible. My goal is to make it through at least if I have grandchildren, like make it through my grandchildren's high school graduation. That's my metric. So I'm like, okay, I had to stay healthy because everyone's having kids later. Like, let me do all the things I can do to be around um, and to be around with my partner for a while and be able to do stuff after we retire and feel like not old for as long as possible. Amen. Yeah, we're working on that too. (laughs) Can I just say that I'm really proud of both of you for doing this podcast and I can't wait to listen to it. I am really excited for it. I think that it's really important. I feel honored that I'm here and get to be in season one. There'll be many more seasons and I think what you're doing is awesome. Thank you, Maya. So much to discuss about Maya's story, but we're not going to do it yet. Listen next week for the second episode in this series when we talk to Siobhan Alford about her very different childbirth experience. At the end of that episode, we will talk about our takeaways from the two conversations. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode inspires you to increase your body wealth. If you like our show, please subscribe and tell a friend. The Body Wealth Podcast shares personal stories to inspire you. It does not constitute medical advice. For that, we encourage you to work with a trusted healthcare provider. We also want to remind you that the views expressed by our guests are their own. This podcast is dedicated to our mother, Jean Fernandez Barbour, who showed us what advocating for yourself really looks like.